You are tuned to KVMR FM Nevada City KCPC Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, November 13th, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Craig Johnson Plumbing, serving Nevada and Placer counties since 2004. Now partnered with Clearwater and Filtration, providing water testing services, treatment recommendations, home filtration system design, and existing equipment evaluation. Information at clearwaterandfiltration.com. Well, coming up after a look at our local headlines and weather, we'll bring you NPR's national news headlines. Then, KVMR's Charlotte Peterson will speak with Nevada County Superintendent of Schools Scott Lay about the current rise in active COVID-19 cases in our region and how this is affecting your kids' schools. Then Keith Porter will talk with Nicole McNeely, the Executive Director of the Nevada County Food Bank, as they see record-breaking numbers of people showing up for their weekly food distribution. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we bring you the California Report, and at 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. California has become the second state to surpass 1 million COVID-19 infections since the start of the pandemic, closely following Texas, which hit the grim milestone earlier this week. As of yesterday, California had a total of 1,631 confirmed cases and 18,126 deaths statewide according to Johns Hopkins University data. Those high numbers come as a new forecast from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Policy Lab projects major cities in California will have significant case growth into mid-December. Hospitalizations in the state have also begun creeping upward. Here in Nevada County, there were 128 active cases as of noon today with four hospitalizations and nine deaths. The union reports that a coalition of Nevada County restaurants have filed a federal lawsuit against the state and local government in opposition to state-mandated, county-enforced COVID-19 orders. An overflow crowd of several dozen supporters heard from Ken and Chad Page of Friar Tucks and Old Town Cafe owner Robin Buckman, as well as one of the attorneys who filed the suit, Nathan Harpainter. Ken Page told the crowd, It had been a difficult decision to make a legal stand, calling the mandates tyranny and characterizing coalition's stance as a battle for hearts and minds and good versus evil. The suit names Governor Gavin Newsom, as well as a litany of other state officials, all of the Nevada County supervisors, Public Health Officer Richard Johnson, Environmental Health Officer Amy Irani, and County Counsel Kit Elliott. The 35-page complaint requests both preliminary and permanent injunctive relief against the enforcement of a number of orders issued by Newsom and the state, as well as Nevada County, and asks the court to prohibit retaliation based on the plaintiff's exercise of their First Amendment rights to freedom of speech and assembly. The complaint also asks for a judicial declaration that those state and county orders violated the restaurant owner's rights under the 14th and 15th Amendments. According to attorney Harpainer, the rights being violated include the fundamental right to run a business and to seek lawful employment. KGO reports that California's Employment Development Department is fighting rampant fraud, but in the process, many unemployed workers say their accounts are frozen and their money is suddenly gone. Bank of America has been draining money out of countless EDD accounts, leaving many workers bewildered and broke. Bank of America claims it is removing funds from some EDD accounts due to suspicious activity on the cards. Bank of America said customers 
now must contact the bank and try to claim that money back. The bank issued this statement, saying in part, The action was part of our broad effort to fight fraud. There has been billions of dollars of fraud during this pandemic in state unemployment programs, including California. We are working with the state and law enforcement to identify and take action against fraudulent applicants, protect taxpayer money, and ensure that legitimate applicants can access their benefits. We notified affected cardholders of this action and encouraged them to contact us if they believe the credit should be reinstated. Ubinet reports that this week the city councils of both Grass Valley and Nevada City agreed to support the full integration of their fire departments. Beginning on December 23rd, the two formerly separate departments will have a single fire administration overseen by Fire Chief Mark Buttron. The new organization is tentatively being labeled as the Grass Valley Nevada City Fire Department. The name reflects the desire of each city to retain their identity and honor the long history and traditions of their fire departments. The Grass Valley Fire Department was founded in 1853, and the Nevada County Fire Department was founded in 1860. A new report claims that even if human-caused greenhouse gas emissions can be reduced to zero, global temperatures may continue to rise for centuries afterwards. The world is already past a point of no return for global warming, the study's authors report in the British journal Scientific Reports. The only way to stop the warming, they say, is that enormous amounts of carbon dioxide have to be extracted from the atmosphere. The burning of fossil fuels such as oil, coal, and gas release greenhouse gases such as carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere, causing global temperatures to increase and sea levels to rise. Lead author of the report, Jorgen Randers, said, According to our models, humanity is beyond the point of no return when it comes to halting the melting of permafrost using greenhouse gas cuts as the single tool. If we want to stop this melting process, we must do something in addition. For example, suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and store it underground and make Earth's surface brighter. The study said by the year 2500, the planet's temperatures will be about 5.4 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than they were in 1850, and sea levels will be roughly 8 feet higher. Denmark is killing its large mink population after discovering a coronavirus mutation that can spread to humans. The country, which is the world's largest supplier of mink fur, will cull as many as 17 million animals in an effort to stop the spread. The Danish prime minister said, We have a great responsibility towards our own population, but with the mutation that has now been found, we have an even greater responsibility for the rest of the world as well. Danish officials have seen the mutated virus display a weak reaction to antibodies. The government said it is concerned that the variant could reduce the effectiveness of a future vaccine. It's worth noting that all viruses mutate, something that doesn't necessarily mean they are more dangerous. Danish officials have notified the World Health Organization and the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. Twelve people have been diagnosed with the virus strain so far, according to the World Health Organization. About 200 coronavirus cases in total can be traced to exposure from mink. The weather forecast for Grass Valley in Nevada City is calling for rain ending by midnight tonight with lows in the mid-40s. On Saturday, partly cloudy with highs in the mid-50s. Saturday night, fair with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, partly sunny with highs near 60. In Sacramento tonight, increasing clouds overnight with lows in the upper 40s. 
On Saturday, a few clouds with highs in the low 60s. Saturday night, partly cloudy with lows in the low 40s. And on Sunday in the Sacramento region, mostly sunny with highs in the upper 60s. In Truckee, tonight snow showers before midnight with lows around 20. Winds could gust over 40 miles per hour. Saturday, becoming sunny in the afternoon with highs in the mid-40s. Saturday night, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-20s. And on Sunday in the Truckee area, partly cloudy with highs around 50. And in Angels Camp this evening, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-30s. On Saturday, cloudy with highs in the mid-50s. Saturday night, rain overnight with lows in the mid-30s. And on Sunday in the Angels Camp region, showers early turning sunny in the afternoon with highs in the low 50s. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Donald Trump at a just-concluded White House event continues to tout his administration's Operation Warp Speed coronavirus vaccine development program, but has failed to concede the November 3rd election to President Joe Biden. And despite a record rise in coronavirus infections in the U.S. as colder weather moves in, Trump says he would not support another shutdown of the economy. Ideally, we won't go to a lockdown. I will not go. This administration will not be going to a lockdown. Hopefully, the, the, uh, whatever happens in the future, who knows which administration it will be. I guess time will tell. But uh, I can tell you this administration will not go to a lockdown. More than a week after the election, Trump without evidence continues to describe the election as fraudulent. Today's White House news conference comes as Georgia, the final uncalled state, begins a hand-tally recount. Joe Biden leads in that state by about 14,000 votes. Biden's transition team, meanwhile, is charging ahead despite Trump's lack of concession, but there are downsides to doing so without the Trump administration's cooperation. NPR's Asma Khalid reports Biden's transition officials say it's putting Americans at risk. The General Services Administration ascertains the winner of each presidential election. It's an important detail that kicks off the transition process and allows the next administration to have funds and access to current administration officials. But the GSA has yet to recognize Biden as the winner. You need real-time information to deal with crises of the moment. Former White House Communications Director Jen Psaki is working on the Biden transition. On the COVID front, access to ongoing work on distribution plans, uh, vaccine development, that engagement directly with the agencies would significantly help our preparations um, to govern. Biden's team says, likewise, it would help to have intelligence briefings that provide current threat assessments. Asma Khalid, NPR News. A Wayne County judge says certifying ballots in Michigan will move forward. He ruled the challenges to how vote counting in Detroit was handled or not credible. More from Michigan Radio's Rick Pluta. The judge denied several motions filed by Republican challengers who claimed they were stopped from doing their jobs on election night. But the judge said the claims were speculative and not credible. He also said delaying certification of the votes would harm the public interest and undermine faith in the electoral system. 
Judge Timothy Kenny took aim at the fact that the GOP challengers skipped a walkthrough and training session at the counting center in Detroit, which he said might have answered the concerns raised in the lawsuit. This means Michigan results are on track to be made official on November 23rd. The state and its 16 electoral votes have been called for Joe Biden. For NPR News, I'm Rick Pluta. Record high close to the broader market today. The S&P 500 gained 48 points. The Dow jumped 399 points. This is NPR. Just a day after the Oklahoma House of Representatives convened for an in-person swearing-in, two members tested positive for the coronavirus. Chris Polanski of member station KWGS reports not all members wore masks at the ceremony, and some lawmakers say they only learned they were potentially exposed from news reports. Oklahoma House Democrats are outraged that Republican leaders didn't inform their caucus and that many GOP rank-and-file members attended without masks. Oklahoma City Representative Mickey Dollins is especially upset because he has a one-year-old at home with a severe respiratory condition. Seeing my daughter gasp for air is something I never thought I'd have to relive, and you know I pray that I don't. But in the situations that we're being forced into, These are possibilities again. Oklahoma has no statewide mask mandate. The state Senate is scheduled to swear in on Monday. Leadership says masks will be encouraged but not required. For NPR News, I'm Chris Polanski in Tulsa. One person who may not be at Cape Canaveral Sunday evening when a SpaceX rocket is scheduled to lift off, SpaceX chief exec Elon Musk. That's after Musk appears to have gotten contradictory coronavirus test results. Musk took to Twitter today to say he tested positive for the virus, then tested negative twice, then positive again. Musk says he had not been feeling well for the past few days, but says he currently has no symptoms. Four astronauts, three American and one Japanese, are slated to lift off this weekend bound for the International Space Station. Crude oil futures prices gave up some of their progress. Oil down 99 cents a barrel to 80 to 40.13 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Next up on the KVMR Evening News, we have a report from Charlotte Peterson. I'm speaking with Scott Lay, Nevada County's Superintendent of Schools. Hello, Scott. Good morning, Charlotte. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, how are Good. you doing? I, I'm doing great as well. Good. Doing great. So it's been a while since we've had a conversation, and um, I thought it would be a good time to touch base with COVID numbers rising in Nevada County, uh, even though our hospitalization rates are remaining low at the moment. Um, And of course, this rise in numbers is also impacting our schools. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, There's certainly, you know, the good and the bad news. I mean, the good, as you say, the hospitalization rates are not um, are not skyrocketing, which is fantastic, and it seems that the cases we have are not uh, severe, which is which is also great. The bad news is the number of them. I think yesterday in Nevada County we hit 47, and with those kind of numbers, we know that that's going to move us into the red, and and you know we've got to be honest and start looking is that going to move us into the purple uh, tiered system? But um, the impact on schools, yeah, we've had several positive COVID cases in our school since last week. We've got uh, you know, Twin Ridges Elementary School District has actually gone back to distance learning for two weeks. They had uh, the, some positive tests up there, and they felt it was um, the, the best course of action to go to distance learning for two weeks before coming back to hybrid. Um, they had uh, a case, big case yesterday, what, one case, but it impacted about 44 students and uh, some staff who now need to be quarantined. Um, Silver Springs, the Pleasant Ridge School District has had a couple cases, a new one this morning, Grass Valley School District, and Union Hill. Um, so with that, that, that's not surprising to us. 
Um, they're not cases that we're seeing spread at this point in time through the schools. They are being brought to the schools, which we, which we expected, and that's why we have the protocols and procedures. In most cases, we've been able to isolate the students before they've actually got to class they, you know, with the symptom checking we're doing. Um, a few developed symptoms after they did uh, come into their classroom, and, and that's where you see the isolated in the cohorts situation. But certainly an increase in numbers, um, not enough to close our schools permanently to a distance learning model as of yet. Um, again, Twin Ridges did that because they're a small school that student um, could, had multiple contacts with people, and so therefore they just did it for safety. Small schools can react easily. Um, so that's where we're at. You know, looking ahead, I think the first question I keep getting is, well, with these increased cases, are we going to close our schools? And the answer is no, based upon the criteria. You'd have to have multiple outbreaks at a school site where you'd be looking uh, at closing the school and going to distance learning. And we'd be working with public health on that. That has not happened yet. Um, so again, our, our procedures are, are working very well. What the issue is going to be for our schools, Charlotte, is the lack of substitute teachers and the increase of testing and the longer it's taking now to get an appointment to be tested for COVID and to get your results back. Those are two really big issues facing our schools right now. Scott, what could potentially happen if a teacher is sick? So let's say, you know, you, you've got a teacher who potentially has uh, been exposed. They need to get tested. Right now, the wait time to get in to be tested is like four to five days. And so you'd have four to five days of the missing class, plus then four days probably at the other end waiting to get test results back. So that's where the critical shortage of substitute teachers comes in. Um, and we've been scouring the county to try to get more subs, and we just cannot find them right now. Um, but what would happen is probably you would then put that cohort where the teacher who is out, uh, you'd put them on a distance learning model until you had a sub or until the teacher came back. So still not shutting the whole school down, but it may be taking that class and going from hybrid back to distance learning until a substitute could be um, acquired and brought in. And you don't want a sub on like a Monday, then nobody on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and a different sub on Thursday. You'd want consistency for the students. So that will all be factored in as well. But there is a critical shortage right now of substitute teachers in Nevada County and across the state of California as well. We are seeing that everywhere. That's big. That's sad news. Yeah. It is. It, it's very big. Um, you know, in the testing piece, I'm working with the county. I'm working with our insurance groups who provide uh, testing through Quest Labs. And in those areas, we're looking to see if we can increase the capacity to reduce the amount of time it takes to get a test and to get the results back. Uh, the county of Nevada and insurance companies have been uh, very proactive with that. So that's kind of my Friday today is working on that to see what we can pull together. The substitute teacher piece is a bigger issue because, you know, the reality is most of our substitute teachers are retired teachers, and um, which puts them potentially in groups that are could be compromised, you know, f and, and for the coronavirus. And so they've opted not to work, and, and we understand that for their safety. That, you know, I support that, but it leaves a, a dramatic shortage of substitute teachers in our county. Right. So what about particular families, a student or multiple students in a cohort um, tested positive? Do individual families have the ability to change their mind about having their students go into the classroom? Can they go back to a distance learning model even if they've signed up for going into the classroom? 
That is certainly the discussions going on in all the districts, and, and most districts will, will allow for that. And, and the reason that they may not is sheer numbers. You know, if you had a mass migration uh, into distance learning, it would take shuffling of staff because you've got staff doing distance learning. You've got, in some cases, staff doing just hybrid. In other cases, they're doing both. It depends on the model at each site. But I know each district and charter school would certainly work to accommodate that. They want the parents to feel safe. They want the students to feel safe. They want the staff to feel safe. So that would be the ultimate goal. Well, it doesn't sound like it's an easy situation on any level. What do you anticipate happening as we move into winter and winter break? Could we potentially see a, a lightening up of the situation like over winter break? Personally, I fear it could go the other way. I, I was expecting a surge after Thanksgiving. Um, and it, uh, I didn't, didn't expect it right after Halloween. We, we know there was a, a lot of you know, trick-or-treaters out there, and we know there were some parties where some social distancing was not taking place. There, you know, people are tracing it back to these gatherings. Um, and I get it. Everybody's tired of COVID, and um, you know, they the kids and people are missing out on traditions and, and things that you know, make life fun. Um, but we're seeing the impact of it right now. Uh, and it, it, it really, I, I don't know where, what's going to happen right now, Charlotte, with, you know, are people going to realize, like, hey, we really need to buckle down and wear a mask, socially distance, um, you know, wash our hands, use sand, hand sanitizer, really you know, clean. Um, I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, we, we really need to to turn this uh, this corner. I'm, I'm very concerned about our local businesses. I don't think there's a lot that could handle another shutdown if we go to purple again, especially around the holiday season when I'm sure a lot of them do the, you know, do a high percentage of their business for the entire year. So that concerns me greatly for our community. So, you know, even myself, I'm rethinking I was going to have my mom, who's all by herself, come up for my Thanksgiving and my dad. And, uh, I'm starting to rethink that, going, hmm, maybe I should be bringing something to them, you know, and dropping it off at their, their house, not going in. I'm, right. um, just with this recent surge, I'm worried about them. I'm you know, worried about any kind of spread going on. Again, the silver lining right now at this point in time as of Friday is, you know, the, the cases are, don't seem to be severe. We're not seeing people get really, really ill and be hospitalized, and that's great. You know, but that could change. Um, right. And so we want to keep it, keep it from going there and keep everybody safe and you know, wear your mask. I hate my mask. I don't know anybody who says, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to put my mask on to go somewhere. But, you know, I, I do wear it everywhere I go um, because I, I, just, I want to look out for the other people just in case I was asymptomatic. So I just, just encourage people to think, think about it again. If it keeps our businesses open, please do it. If it keeps our schools open, please do it. Um, yeah, and um, let's just be as safe as we can and, and thoughtful to each other and, uh, and keep our community safe. Scott, that was a lovely positive note to um, end on. So as usual, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to um, talk with us. Okay, All bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. And I have been talking with Scott Lay, Nevada County Superintendent of Schools. For KVMR, I'm Charlotte Peterson. I'm Keith Porter for KVMR, and I'm talking with Nicole McNeely, who is the executive director of the Food Bank of Nevada County, and we've talked with Nicole before, and uh, it's uh, just time for an update. This being uh, 
entering our holiday period, Thanksgiving, and on to Christmas, and it's a very food-intensive time when people think about food a lot and need food a lot for gatherings or, or festive things and whatnot. And, of course, the economy's down, so people are very impacted by the fact that uh, finances are not there for purchasing food a lot of time, and therefore the food bank is filling an important role in our community. That's right, Keith. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah, just a quick update. We are seeing record-breaking numbers every single week. Every week we are serving approximately 900 families. Uh, That equates to about 2,600 individuals that we are putting food into their bellies every week. We are getting ready for um, next week, which will be uh, the holiday distribution and um, we will have some different types of holiday food in all of the bags. How has your operation been impacted by the pandemic since we talked last time? I'm sure there have been uh, a number of obstacles that you've had to overcome. Tell us about those. How's it going? Yeah, so we are doing really well. We have a good, solid group of people that come in on Tuesdays to our warehouse, and they pack food for the distribution on Thursdays. I would say that the biggest impact that we've seen recently is just the uptick in how many people need assistance. So we are not running short on food, but we are definitely going through a lot of food every Thursday. So a lot of food is going out and we're making sure that there's a really good component of child-friendly foods and also really healthy, fresh foods in all of the food that we distribute. So it's good to hear that food supplies are holding up, but how, I mean, it's a little puzzling, I guess, to those on the outside. How, how does that happen? Who are the good angels that are making sure that happens? Well, it's mostly the community. I would say that the community is really the one that steps up when we need them and makes sure that we have stuff to give these families, to give these children and seniors. And also we have UNFI, who is one of our local organizations that has always supported us by uh, giving us some of their overstock or close date foods that we then can distribute to people. So it's really just a whole community rallying around each other. So I love that about this food bank. It is well supported by the community itself and it feeds the community. It just stays here. So it's a great, great relationship, everyone out there. That is really good to hear. You mentioned the community supports the uh, your operation in many ways, but I assume that partly includes volunteers, right? And is there a need for more volunteer help and support for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We actually are always need more volunteers. We have lots of different jobs and things that people can help with. We pack food at our warehouse, and then we also deliver food to people of specific populations, so senior citizens or those with special needs or those with disabilities. And then we distribute every Thursday. We do a full community distribution where we make sure that families have something in their cabinets um, week to week. So if people are inclined to help uh, make your efforts as successful as they are, and even more so, uh, I assume financial support is welcome, and I assume volunteer support is helping. And, And if someone wants to do that, how will they contact you? Yeah, so if they go to our website, and it's www foodbankofnc.org and if you go on there you can see where the volunteer questionnaire is and also there's a donate button so people can do both or sign up to come and help and then um, they can drop off a check or come by and visit a distribution and see if if there's possibility that they could help there as well so we really we just need everybody to keep supporting us so we can keep going 
Absolutely. So you mentioned that there's you you have a holiday distribution coming up next week. Is that correct? And and how does that that's correct? How does that differ from your normal distribution weekly? And um, if so, how? And what's special about it? Well, the special part about this distribution is that we've had selected food for this distribution. So it will have some components of a traditional holiday dinner. Um, each each bag or each serving uh, will in- include some type of holiday food. And then also the other part of that is we want to make sure that folks that are going to be coming to get some stuff to help out with that additional dinner that they might be serving, we're extending the hours next week. So we'll be there from 10 to 2. And we encourage the community that if they would like to come and if they need the support, then um, they can always just come, you know, in the later half of the day or the later part of the distribution because in the morning it gets a little busy. And be sure to keep your trunk clean and stay in your car. We're going to be out there, Keith, rain or shine. Rain or shine. And um, rain or shine. And we'll be there from 10 to 2. Okay, 10 to 2. And that uh, the details again for the day for people who are new to the process? Mm-hmm. Um, it is the Grass Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it is out near Cedar Ridge. And it's from 10 to 2 o'clock, and it's a drive-through, so folks need to just come in their vehicle. We have some paperwork there that we ask for your name and how many people you feed and your zip code and and whether or not you've um, been with the food bank before. And then we also um, have some income guidelines and some other paperwork for them to take a look at. They just have to self-certify. And they just pull up, they give us the information, and then they drive through and pop their trunk, and we just get them some supplemental food. And they're on their way. Excellent. And that's th- the week of the, the day of the week next week is? Oh, yes. Thursday, November 19th. Thursday, November 19th for the uh, holiday distribution for Thanksgiving. Well, Nicole, uh, I think our community is blessed uh, by having you here doing the work you do, you and all your staff and all your volunteers. And uh, it's wonderful to talk with you. And it's wonderful to hear that things are are holding up. uh, And it looks like we're in it kind of for the long term here. So uh, do you anticipate being able to continue operations into the future as long as necessary? Absolutely. We will never stop. And uh, we all feel the same, that as long as there's a need, we will continue to make sure that no one goes hungry. And uh, we will find food for everyone. We, we will find food no matter how, how we get it. We'll make sure that everyone will get to have some food in their cabinets and some food for their children and food for their families. So if the need goes up, then we will be ready. And we're here for everyone. And I want to say, too, Keith, thank you for Community Radio. We appreciate all that you do for us, too. Food Bank of Nevada County is taking care of uh, nutrition needs for so many people in Nevada County at this difficult time. Nicole McNeely, Executive Director of Food Bank of Nevada County. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, have a wonderful weekend and blessings on your uh, work uh, for next week on the distribution. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a nice weekend. Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. We'd like to thank Charlotte Peterson and Keith Porter for their help in producing this evening's newscast. For their support, we'd like to thank Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering the beauty and color of fall for arts and crafts, home decor, school projects, and knitting. Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley. Online at benfranklin-crafts.com. 
Well, coming up next, it's the California Report, and at 7 o'clock we bring you Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. I'm Felton Pruitt. Have a safe weekend.